This morning I'm going to bring you a message in our Flip This House series on our country, our nation. And I think we forget, forget very easily what it costs. Since Wednesday when you have your barbecue, hamburgers, or whatever it is you do, please don't forget to remember. It's about our independence. And I think, I think when we slide by a holiday such as this or, or Memorial Day without thinking, I think we do dishonor to those who died for us. You know, wasn't it wonderful to worship God? Wasn't it wonderful just to stand in his presence just a few moments ago? There have been peoples all over this world that have never had that opportunity. You have that opportunity today because some soldier was mowed down by a Nazi machine gun on a beach in Normandy. Never got to say goodbye to his family. Because some, uh, you, we have that freedom today because some pilot was shot down in the Pacific Ocean and his body never returned home for a proper burial. We forget and sometimes act as if this freedom, this liberty that we have was free. But it wasn't even cheap. It was very expensive because it cost us some of the best men and women this country have ever produced. So don't forget that. And don't forget we've got two of our own young men on their way to Afghanistan. And we need to lift them up in prayer. And I can't say a thank you to them right now. I can't on Facebook this afternoon. But if you... If you know a, a veteran, please, this Wednesday, don't, don't let Wednesday slide by. Pick, them up, pick up the phone and call them or do something. Let them know. And let's appreciate those. And, and again, if you served in the military, you gave your life for me. You stood there. You were there. You gave your life. Even if you, it wasn't required of you, you gave your life. So let's thank a veteran this week. Thank someone. If you know someone that lost someone in, in service, thank that family. Appreciate them. Do that for them. Don't forget. But also let's not forget that God took these men and women that gave their lives, that have served in our military. He took them and used them as tools, as instruments to bless this country so great. Let's not forget to thank him. That's kind of little bit of the message this morning, but leading into that. Just a couple things I want to mention to you before we have a word of prayer and get into Scripture and the message. It's this afternoon, 4 o'clock, Church 101. If you have never been to 101 on a Sunday afternoon, please join me today. And if you think, well, I was grandfathered in. No, don't be grandfathered in. You need to be here, please. I, I gave you two months, uh, a month and a half warning, and I wanted you to be here the 1st of July. Please, if you can even if you're already on a team, even if you're already a church member and all that, please, please be here if you've never been. And, and we'll have some time for fellowship and snack and you ask questions, me share my heart and some things, but please. And also, uh, Wednesday night, we won't have any activities going on uh, at the church or any of our small groups. I don't know if any of our small groups are planning on meeting. Um, 
the students are having something special tomorrow night. Uh, these videos, they've shown their announcement videos that uh, the swim party, I had a lot of adults ask me, now, where's that swim party? And I had to tell them, that way. that's a student thing, okay? Uh, and uh, the cookout tomorrow at John and April's house, and it uh, makes you kind of want to be a teenager all over again. And, and uh, we're so glad to have uh, John and April on staff with us now as our student pastor. One of the reasons I say that is because I realized that everybody wasn't here the day we announced that, and I keep running into people that didn't know that yet. So I want to make sure you know. John, raise your hand back there in the back corner. John and April and Noah, so we're glad to have them on staff with us. Already some awesome things happening with the youth. Uh, already on Wednesday night, the, 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 swim, the swimming pool party was uh, more than a pool party. If you don't believe me, ask him. He'll, uh, and you might want to make sure you got about a half hour before you ask him, uh, and he'll tell you all about it. Uh, so let's, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get to our message. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, so much for all of your blessings in, into our country, God, the things that you've done. God, thank you, Lord, for all these that have given, all these that have sacrificed, all these that, God, that were part of our military, worked so hard. God uh, did so much, Lord, and, and, and you use that, God. And, God, you used, God, the, the generations that have been before us, Lord. Lord, that have built this nation, God, and held on to the faith in you while they were building with their other hand, God. I thank you, God, for them. And I thank you, God, for honoring that and making this truly the greatest nation that has ever existed in history. God, I just ask you, God, please, please today, help us recapture some of that. Help us, God, to see, Lord, use us. Just as you use these men and women of the military, use us as tools, as instruments. God, to turn your nation back. God, to recapture some of the glory, recapture the blessing, God, of what you have done, what you've built in our nation. One nation under God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, it's my contention. And I, I, need, I think I need about an hour. I don't know what time I got started in the early service, but I wasn't early enough, I guess. I, but so I, I got to hurry, but it's my contention. I'm not going to argue with you about this. I'm just going to tell you this is my contention, that our country is losing its way. If you don't believe that, then we can discuss it later, okay? But right now I'm preaching, so we're just going to go with my, my, my thesis here, okay? My, my theory here. Let me take you to Scripture. Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I know that's speaking about Israel, but that first part can speak about any nation. Any nation whose God is the Lord is blessed, a blessed nation. And that word blessed, most of the time you can, you can also translate it that, that is happy. I mean, you're ha- if God's your God, if God is your God, then you are happy. Man, you are a happy people. You, 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 sometimes you don't even realize how happy you are. You ever been happy and not even realize you're happy? You know, somebody had to point it out to you. You got a smile on your face, and then you didn't even know you had a smile on your face. You're happy because of things like that happening. Blessed is the, is the nation whose God is the Lord. And, and then it also talks about in the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Now, now, I know that was talking about Israel, but, but think about this kind of in, that, uh, in the context of, think about adopted children and natural children, you know, children that were adopted into family or children that were raised by their natural parents. And, you know, and, and sometimes adopted children, you know, feel like, well, you know, they're not as good. But, you know, we had two, you know, children naturally born into our family that we raised. And, you know, we just had to take what God gave us. You know, we didn't get to pick and choose. I mean, we just had to, we, you know, whatever he dropped in our lap, that's what we had. But adopted parents and adopted children, they get to choose. 
You know, you know, and and even some kids that are a little bit older, they they actually, you know, a little bit they get to kind of choose their parents to, to some extent as well. At least the connection of those kinds of things. And so, if you think about that, we we look at Israel. And we see Israel. Well, God chose that's His nation, you know, and everybody born and you know as a Jew, they you know they are part of His family because they're just part of His family. But you know, a little over two hundred years ago, God chose to adopt this country as His. And the people that were establishing this country, they chose a spiritual father, and they chose God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. They chose him as their spiritual father. Now read this in this context. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Wow, what an amazing, that's a powerful thing. And we have been witnesses to the power of that blessing for the 200 plus years that this, that this, the United States has been a nation, has been a country. But we're losing it. We're losing bits and pieces of it. And first of all, I want to tell you, we're losing the civility that's going on. I, and I know that doesn't sound like a spiritual thing, but it is. We're, have y'all seen this video of this lady? The bus monitor, the grandmother, 68 years old, I believe it was. And, and only, I mean, she's a bus monitor. She's sitting there just to kind of help protect the kids and make sure things are going well. And, and, and on this bus ride, have, y- have y'all seen this? Anybody seen this? A lot of people in the first service have not seen it. I can't believe every one of you hadn't seen this. It's been on, on the news so much. Four seven-year-old boys began taunting and harassing her, calling her names, calling her fat. And, all. and she starts crying and wiping the tears from her eyes. Uh, you see some of that even here on this video. Uh, and Mike, uh, we were going to use some audio, and Mike emailed me back, and he said, Pastor, what am I going to do about this audio? Because the boys are cussing. I mean, if we had audio right now, you'd be hearing them cussing. You know, seventh grade boys. Now, I hate to sound like my granddad as I start this, this statement right here. But back in my day, if I'd been one of those seventh grade boys, when I got off the bus and my mom and dad found out about what I had done to a 68-year-old grandmother, sweet little lady like that, as we said back in my day, I wouldn't have sat down for a week. You know, because I would have been held accountable for some of that. And, you know, and I didn't hear, I didn't, you know, maybe some of you heard more of the story, but I didn't hear, I didn't hear parents, I didn't hear the parents coming out and, 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 and do anything. I mean, my, my parents would have had something to say about that. I mean, this is horrible, but this, the question about this is, where did they learn this type of behavior? Now, if you'll see this guy in the khaki pants right there walking that way, He's a coach. He's an adult. And he trips this little 13-year-old hockey player. Where where do they learn this? They they don't learn this in a vacuum. They don't learn it from somebody else. They learn it from us. And the 13-year-old hockey player broke his wrist when he hit the ice. Where do they learn this? We're losing our civility. I I heard somebody say the other day that, that, you know, you, you couldn't hold Woodstock today. I don't know that we'd want to. But uh, they said, you couldn't hold Woodstock today because you know how many fights and you know how many, you know, how much stuff, that was the peace and love, you know, generating all that, you know. You know, you couldn't do that today. You'd have so much going, so much, you get that many people together, we're losing our civility. We're losing our morality too. Is is there any better uh, example of that than right here in our own backyard? These two Birmingham policemen have been arrested for setting the fires in our our area in Warrior and, and in Inslee. 
I mean, we're, we're losing our morality. And I, I've said this to you many, many times, and I'm, but I've not said it in a while, so l- let me say this again, is that we have, we have decided against having any absolute truths in our lives anymore. There's no absolute truth. There's no this is right and this is wrong. Everything's a gray area. You know, you can't just see it in those, uh, you know, those end of the spectrum. Everything's a gray area. George Barna said it this way. He said, we have traded truth for tolerance. Instead of truth, we want to tolerate what everybody else thinks and believes. And so truth today is not an absolute. It's not a a morality thing. Truth today is whatever works for you and whatever's right in the situation. You know what happens when you do that? You call it anarchy. I mean, how do you even pull somebody over that is speeding on their way to work? If, that, if, that's, if that's what truth is, whatever works for you in that situation. I mean, what about the, the guy? He's running late, so driving 90 miles an hour in the middle of rush hour. I mean, that works for him because he's running late, so how do you give him a fine? How do you pull someone over and arrest someone for DWI or DUI when, you know, when, uh, as a lot of people say, well, he had a rough day. Maybe he needed a drink. How do you arrest him and get him off the road so he doesn't kill everybody out there? Because if he needed a drink, that was the truth that was working for him at that time. How do you arrest him? How do you put a serial rapist or a serial killer to death? How do you do that? Because, because if it's whatever works for him, the truth in his warped mind and what worked for him was that. And even if you don't believe in the death penalty, how do you even put them in prison? Because see, when you don't have any moral truth, any moral absolutes and absolute truth, you don't have that anymore. You have anarchy. And that's where this country is going. Because we're saying, well, just whatever works for you and whatever fits and whatever that, and we're, we're losing that. And we're losing our work ethic. I, I mentioned this just the other day, but this is going to blow some of your minds. One-third of college students surveyed today believe if they just show up to class, they deserve a B. And you think about that. All you got to do is show up, you know, and you can play computer games while you're sitting there. You just show up. If I just show up to class, I deserve a B. Now, again, back in my day, we didn't get a grade because we showed up. Now, when I was in kindergarten, I might have got a star for showing up. But I didn't get a grade, and I didn't get a degree, and I, I didn't get any of those because I showed up. There was some work that had to be done. And, you know, here, here's, here's where this country is getting to. Let me tell you what we're getting to in our country. Is that, is, is that most people today, and the surveys, I've been checking out a lot of surveys here lately, partly to, to get ready for this message, but partly just for some other things I, I've got going on in my, in my mind and heart and these things. But most people surveyed today no longer believe that you can work yourself out of poverty. It's simply just luck. You're just going to get lucky. You're just going to get an idea that just, you know, everybody wants, and you're going to get rich. You cannot work yourself. If you're, if you're in poverty today, you will not work your way out of poverty. You just got to hope for some good luck. We're losing the work ethic. And, and I think that's, that's part of why we're losing the ability to appreciate what has been paid, what has been spent what, what price has been paid for our freedom, the men and women who have given their life, is we don't understand that because we, we, don't, we don't think about the fact that maybe some of us one day will have to suit up and get out and protect our life. We, we act as if, you know, this thing is just going to continue forever just because, well, just because we want it to. And there's no work ethic that just showing up we ought to get a B. I wonder how many of us kind of believe that in the rest of our lives. 
that just showing up, our, our, our bosses ought to kind of just give us a B for the day anyway. Even if we had a bad attitude and we didn't do our, do our work very well and whatever, and whatever. And we're also losing the strength of the nuclear family. You know, the, the issue here, and this is what you guys said, the issue here is the lack of eye-to-eye contact. I mean, you know, you can, you can beat, just, just like in the video a few moments ago, the granddad picks up his grandsons from school, and they're all in the same car, but there's no contact. Not until he shuts off the radio, he sits there a minute, he gets their attention. You know, you can be in the same room and not have contact. You can sit around the same dinner table and not have contact. You can even be in the same church and not have contact. The lack of eye-to-eye contact. You know what, this is what you, got, this is what you guys, you know, you parents out there, this is what you're saying. It's resulting in these gaps in your life. There's a 73%, 73% of you said there's a technology gap in your life between you and your kids. And I think for some of, it, some of us might even think, well, it's even higher than that. Now, again, back in my day, one of our jokes was, you know, that you buy your parents a VCR for Christmas. The next time you go visit their house, it's sitting there and it's still shiny, looks like it hasn't been used and it's still flashing, 12, 12, 12, 12, because they're waiting on you to come back and program the thing and set the clock up in it, you know? And the other day, the other day Dave and I were listening to a, uh, a comedian, and he, he said that he was, on, uh, he was talking about this, this technology gap, and he said he was on, on tech support, and he said the, the tech guy on the other end of the phone, he was just getting frustrated with him, and he said, sir, you're not getting it, you're not getting it. Is there anybody else there in the house? And he said, uh, well, uh, no, just uh, except for my son. And, and the tech guy said, well, how old is he? And he said, well, he's 14. The tech guy said, put him on. <laughs> right? The tech, technology gap that is there. And, the music appreciation gap. Yeah, it's, but those aren't big deals, are they? But what about the next one? 53? 53%. There's a respect gap. Can you say civility? My kids do not understand respect like I do. 53% of parents polled said, my kids do not understand and have respect like I want them to have respect for other people. And then uh, 80%. The moral perspective. My kids do not. 80% of parents today say their kids do not have the same morals that they have. And I'm like, somebody wake up. Where's the problem? I mean, where's the problem? The problem's not in the kids. Seventh graders, they don't get on a bus and learn to do that in a vacuum. Somebody teaches them that. If 80% of us say our kids do not have the same morals that we have, something is wrong. It's not, it didn't begin with the kids. It might be with the kids now, but it didn't begin with the kids. And 80% is the work ethic. Those, these last three things I told you, you know, that we're missing, we're missing those things. We're missing the civility. We're losing the civility. We're losing, we're losing the uh, morality. We're losing the work ethic. I mean, that's what you guys are saying. That's what parents are saying today. What are we going to do about it? Here's the fix. I don't have time to preach on this. And I talked about fathers just a couple of weeks ago, talked about the home last week. I don't have time to preach a lot. And I'm going to share this with you real quick. Here's the fix. If you've got gaps in your, in your home between you and your kids, here's the fix. First, commit to meaningful dialogue, not monologue where you say everything. Dialogue where you speak and then you try to listen because the second thing is desire to understand your kids. And I know how it is sometimes. I mean, you look at those people in your home and you wonder if God just dropped a couple of aliens in your house while you were asleep one night. You wonder, I don't know who these people are. You've got to, you've got to have a desire to understand 
who your kids are, and then commit to the relationship. What they need to understand is, is even when they mess up, even when you say, look, I do not approve of what you just said, the way you treated me, or something you just did, but I want you to know I'm still here. I'm going to be a parent. And that's the last thing is be the parent. Don't commit to the relationship that regardless of what goes on, and you, you can always count on me. I'll overlook everything. No, I didn't say overlook everything. You still be the parent. Be the parent. You know what I'm talking about? Be the parent. They don't need you to be the granddad. I'm the granddad. I'm the one that gets to go buy them an ice cream cone all the time, bring them home for you to, for you to discipline, right? You don't need to be, don't be the grandparent. Don't be the sugar daddy who gives them everything they want. Can I tell you what most kids in the United States of America need today? The thing that most kids in the United States of America need today is the thing, that, the thing more they need than anything else is they need less. They need less than they have today. That's one of the reasons we don't have any work ethic. All I got to do is ask mom, I whine long enough and I'll get it. You know, all I got to do is ask dad, if he's had a bad enough day, he'll give it to me just to get me off his back so he can, he can go back to watching TV and zoning out for a couple hours until he goes to bed. And there's no work ethic. Be the parent. Let me tell you, I've had this happen all my ministry because I began as a youth pastor. So I, I've had this happen all of my ministry. I've had parents come to me not understanding what in the world I'm going to do with my kids. And you know what I felt like a lot of times? I felt like a hostage negotiator. Because the inmates were in charge of the asylum. The kids were in control, and I was just trying to figure out some way that I could negotiate the release of their parents and get them back in charge like they're supposed to be. As a parent, the thing you need to do is be the parent. Don't be Santa Claus. Don't be the sugar daddy. Don't be the granddaddy. Don't be the buddy. They don't need another buddy. They got plenty of buddies. They need somebody with some strength and some backbone. Somebody to teach them the moral absolutes and the, the work ethic that they need to have. Be the parent. And lastly, we're losing. Not, don't, don't get excited. I don't mean lastly my sermon. Just lastly what we're losing. But lastly, we're losing connection to the God who made us a great nation. Look at the stats. There they are. The builders, what age, uh, 67 to 85 80% of them have a Bible-based view of God. Now, let me explain to you. This is what this means because this is the way the question was asked. It's when you say God to them, who do you think of? They think of Jehovah, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old and the New Testament. That doesn't mean that 80% of them are Christians or that 80% of them go to church or that 80% have even ever prayed in their life. But when you say God, they think of the God of the Bible. They have a Bible-based view of who God is. And the boomers... About the same thing. That's age 48 to 66. That's me. I'm barely in that crowd there, but I'm in that crowd. They have an 80%. But the Busters, age 29 to 47, it dropped down to 70%. The Mosaics, age 10 to 28, it dropped down to 60%. Now 60%. And that may just sound like numbers to you, but you think about what is happening in two generations. That no longer, when you say God... 60%, only 60% of the mosaics, when you say God, they think you're talking about Jehovah. 40% think you could be talking about anybody's God. You know, the Hare Krishna kind of a God. And some of you don't even know who that is anymore. That's, I guess I'm going back to back in my day. But, uh, you know, or some, you know, your God or their God or however, whatever God it is you serve. 40% of them. And again, that, that may just sound like, sound like numbers to you. But if you look at that and you see the 80% of boomers 
have a Bible-based view of who God is. And then you look and say that their grandchildren, only 60% have a Bible-based view. If you compare those numbers, what that is saying is that 25% of, of the boomers have lost their grandchildren to the understanding of who God is. They, they, lost, they lost half of that one generation to their kids, and then their kids lost it to their kids. And 25%, in two generations, one quarter, one quarter of our kids have lost a, their Bible-based view of who God is. Something has to change. And how do we change this? How do we change this? And you know, uh, man, I, I, I've got so many things I want to tell you, and I don't have any time to te- tell them to you. So, so, so buckle up your seatbelt again, okay, because we've got to get through the end of this real quick if we can. I want to tell you three things that we can do, three things that we must do to turn this nation around. And the first thing is we've got to grasp every single opportunity. Can I take you to a scripture right here? Colossians 4 and 5 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. If you're taking notes, underline every. Every opportunity. Every opportunity. You've heard me say this over and over and over and over. We've got to quit walking past needs. We've got to see needs. We've got to keep our eyes open to see and, and say, here's my opportunity. You've got to slow down every once in a while. Let, let God speak into your heart and say, here's somebody that needs to be ministered to. But there's something else said in that verse right there. It's at the very beginning, live wisely among those who are not believers. Can I tell you something? We need to end stupid. We need to end stupid in our lives. Christians, we need to end stupid. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, end stupid? Okay, cut it off. Shut it down. Quit it. Okay, I I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to disparage anybody else's efforts in trying to do something to change the nation. But I saw a, a commercial last night. I, you know, I've just been going through, laying there in bed, and, and David still got the TV on. I'm going through my sermon notes, and I'm thinking about this, and boom, here's a commercial comes on, and there's an amazing event that is going to happen August something, something, I don't know, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change this whole country and, and everything and everything. But as I'm watching this thing, I'm thinking, I'm watching all this stuff that's going to happen. I'm saying, you know what, that's great for the church. The church is going to show up for that. We're going to watch that on TV. If we're at home that night, we don't have something else better to do. But you know what? That 40% over there in the mosaics, they're not going to that event. They're not doing that thing. They're not going to show up. They're not going to watch it on TV. We keep doing this stuff like we think one more church service is going to reach the community. The problem is they're not coming to church. God didn't call them to come to church. He called us to go to them. You know, and so what we do is we get these ideas and we just do these stupid things. We see people driving by and driving by and driving. We say, well, I'm going to make up a sign. We make up a sign. We stick it out on the road and then we make a bigger sign. I mean, when I was a kid, I had some hecklers in the first service. Y'all leave me alone here. Just I got to tell you. When I was a kid, there was a sign that's been changed a little bit. There was a sign on 65 just before you get, uh, well, really coming out of Montgomery. Had a sign that says, if you don't go to Sunday school, the devil's going to get you. And my heckler said, it's still there. Well, yeah, it's still there. They changed it. If you don't go to, I think now it says if you don't go to church. You say if you don't go to Sunday school. I kind of wonder if the guy that made the sign, he decided to quit Sunday school, so he had to change the sign. <laughs> I don't mean to disparage what somebody else is trying to do, but let me tell you something. That, little, that red devil on that sign, that scared, scared a little kid to death driving down the road. Mom, I was sick last Sunday. We didn't go to Sunday school. The devil's going to get me this week. I mean, we need to end some stupid. Come on, somebody. We need to end some stupid. 
Or you'd make up a sign and make a bigger sign and make a bigger sign and another sign and get you a big band and then I'd put a bunch of, bunch of speakers in the back of it and you go set it all up out in front of Sam's on Lakeshore and you tell everybody if you don't do this, you don't do that and everything and you don't repent, all that and all that and all that. We need to end some stupid. Okay, and that's what this other verse right here says, James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, they don't need your wisdom. That's stupid. Your wisdom is useless. Our wisdom is stupid. We don't, they don't, our wisdom will not change a bit of their life. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It's a pure wisdom. It's not mixed with anything else I'm thinking. Secondly, it is peace-loving. It is not condemning and pointing your finger and saying this and saying that and saying that. You know what I started? I, right here I started to give you the scripture John three seventeen instead of this one. I'm so glad God led me to this one. Because it says everything that really needs to be said. But John, you know, everybody knows John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But verse 17, do you know it? Anybody quote it? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, he didn't send his son here to point fingers and say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, y'all are going to hell, the devil's going to get you. He sent his son to save the world. And sometimes our stupidity gets in the way of God just wrapping his arms around this world and saying, look, I love you in the middle of your sin. I just don't want to leave you there. And so it's peace-loving. It's considerate. You know, consider the, before you start pointing your finger at somebody, think about maybe what they were raised in. And understand before you start throwing things on them and, and start being condemning, uh, full of mercy. Man, we need some more mercy in this country. We need some more mercy in our church. Full of mercy, full of good work. You know what good fruit is? It's works. Have those actions, do they have any works? Are you blessed? Let me tell you something. something let me tell you something about it. Turn the situation around. That person who, 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 you know, that you're trying to reach for God, instead of telling them everything they're doing wrong and how it's messing up their life, why don't you give them some good works? Why don't you say, hey, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Can I, can, I, can I bless you in some way? Can I take you out, can, can I take you out for a biscuit tomorrow? Uh, man, if you ever see. Man, I, I, I have one of those people that's kind of, you know, they kind of hurt, hurt at me. Y'all ever have anybody hurt at you? I have one of those people kind of hurt at me the other day. I saw them the other day. They pulled in line right behind me at Jack's. And you know, I've not hurt at them. They're hurt at me, okay? So I didn't, I didn't have any bad feelings going through, going through my mind. You know what? I thought here is my opportunity. Man, I'm going to pull up there and say, I want to pay for the people's and the, and the you know. And, it's like, and before I got there, I had to wait and make sure they saw me because I wanted to, I didn't want them to know just so I could get a reward. I wanted to heal something. I wanted to fix something. God gives us opportunities if we'll open our eyes and full of good works, impartial and sincere. They need to hear a level-headed explanation of who we are and why we believe what we believe. Quit being stupid. Okay, now I, I, I got to be just a little more blank with you because I know, some of you are going to say, that's good, Pastor. I'm going to share that with somebody this week. But you're still not going to get it. So let me, let me make sure you get it. I'm going to give you an example. Homosexuality. Now, 15 years ago, I was pastoring a church, and the hot topic, hot button issue was homosexuals in the military. On Wednesday night, I taught a, a, an adult class. It didn't matter what I taught on. At some point, somebody in that crowd was going to turn it. We were going to get around to homosexuals in the military. I, I, I could, I, you know, I could take the discussion as far away from that as I could. I could not break it. 
We were going to talk about homosexuals in the military before we got out of there that night. You know, now that's a back burner issue. Because now we've gone, I mean, now we've gone on to redefining what marriage is. And you know, we, we kind of lost that battle, and, but we, we lost a lot of battles before that. I mean, we could talk about abortion, we could talk about uh, Bible in schools and prayer in schools and all that. Because you know what? Because a, a lot of our arguments are just stupid. A lot of what we said was just pointing our finger and just being stupid. You know what they need to hear? They just need to hear the plain truth. And the plain truth is, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. And the Bible says that marriage is between, this is God's word, marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And so anything outside of that is sin. We don't believe, you, know, you, don't, you, know, you don't state this, but you need to get this out of your head. We don't believe that homosexuals are going to a different, a different hell. That there is a hell and, and all sin gets you headed in the direction of that hell. Whether it's homosexual sin or premarital sex sin or extramarital sex sin. All sex sin is wrong. Anything outside of God's plan for sex is wrong. And so premarital, extramarital, and the re, you know, we, we're Christians, that's why we do it. It's the word of God and that's what we believe. And it works. It works. Premarital sex doesn't work. It destroys. It tears apart. It creates families that are broken from the very moment of conception. Extramarital sex, it doesn't work. Don't anybody say amen, okay, because everybody will know. But it don't work, does it? But you know what I'm saying? It doesn't work. It destroys. It destroys homes. That's why, that's why we, you know, we've got kids that are being raised. I don't know if mom's going to be around much longer. It doesn't work. And same-sex relationships, they don't work either. I mean, that's why, because we're Christians, because this is the way God designed it, and because, hey, it works. So we need to get rid of stupid. We need to get rid of stupid. Oh, my goodness, I've got to hurry. Secondly, we've got to realize that families are still a dominating influence. I gave you this scripture a couple of weeks ago. I want to take time to read it. I've got to quit. But here's the thing. is God has already gone before you to prepare your way. Those of you who, are, who already have kids, you have a powerful influence in your kids' lives. You don't believe it? Let me tell you. Here's some more stats. 85% of teenagers today say that family is very important to them. I know they will never admit that to you. But 85% of them would say on, on a survey, family is very important to them. That means even if they're fighting with you all weekend, they still believe that family is important. And 70% of them, when asked to list who their best friends were, without being prompted... 70% of them put their parents in that list of their very best friends. And I wouldn't even put my parents on there because I, would, I wouldn't even be thinking about my parents. I thought they were talking about my friends. You know, I got my family, I got my friends. I wouldn't even think about it. You know, you'd have to prompt me. And I said, don't, you know, think about anybody in your family too. You'd have to prompt me. I wouldn't even thought of that. These kids weren't prompt. And 70% of them immediately thought, yeah, my, my, my parents are some of the best friends I've got in my life. There's a, see, God has already gone before you to prepare your way to make your family a strong thing in their lives. And those of you who don't have kids yet, not married, don't have kids yet, listen to me. You, because God has put this power in, in, in the family, you have the power to change a nation by just raising your kids. Be the parent. Teach them a Bible-based view of who God is. The third thing, we'll wrap up right here real quick is we've got to start copying the model of Jesus. There's only one person that ever changed this world. That was Jesus Christ. 
God come in the flesh. You know how he did it? One life at a time. He passed Simon Peter and, and uh, Andrew. He said, come follow me. He, he found James and John. They had been following John the Baptist. He said, come follow me. He went and found Philip, and he said, come follow me. He, he walked by Matthew's table where he was collecting taxes. He said, come on, follow me, one at a time. He went to Lazarus' uh, house on occasion, and, and, and he liked to hang out with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. He had fellowship with them. That was a regular thing. But also there was Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Whole, whole parade going down the street. Zacchaeus climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus said, come on down, Zacchaeus. i got to go to your house and be a guest today. And Zacchaeus came down, and Jesus went to his house. But I, I think the picture uh, that I like the best is of the, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And, and I'm a very visual person. When I'm reading Scripture, I mean, if it's telling a story, I'm seeing it. You know, there's a... There's a you know, big widescreen motion picture playing right in front of me. You know, I'm seeing this thing. And they come to Jesus. They are mad. They are angry. And they, they just sling her toward Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I see her falling down in the dust right there. And as she falls down, you know what Jesus does? They say, what do you say, Jesus? We're supposed to stone her. She's down on her face. She's crying. And she's, she knows, man, I'm about to die. I'm about to die because the, the, the law says if you're caught in adultery, you're going to be stoned to death. I'm going to die. And you know what Jesus does? He stoops down. Now, I know he stoops down, he writes in the sand, but I see another purpose for stooping down. You see, Jesus, who never committed any sin, he was fully right to stand up in his righteousness and say, that was wrong, and every one of you are wrong. But he didn't do that. He stooped down to get to where she was. There's a little bit of Rick theology. I'm sorry if it don't match up with yours but I believe he was getting to where she was. He got to the lowest of the low, the dirtiest of the dirty, the one with the most sin in their lives probably at that moment. He went to them. One life at a time. We think about the Sermon on the Mount, but where he changed this world was one life at a time. Stand with me. Come to the front. Let's close. One last thing about that one life at a time. You know why most of us will never, come on, step on in a little bit, everybody. You know why most of us will never do a whole lot to change the world around us? Is because we've, we're missing the opportunities. Because we're, we're waiting on those opportunities to, you know, we want to lead dozens, we want to preach to hundreds, we want to sing to thousands. We ain't got time to, man, spend an hour and a half every, every week to lead six or seven in a small group. That's the way Jesus did it. Man, I, I want to change the world just, just giving a few moments of my time to the guy in the cubicle next to me. That's the way Jesus did it. And he changed the world. But I just don't have that much opportunity. Well, I, I like that. One of the reasons I wanted to throw the Zacchaeus story at you is because I know you look at, you look at Lazarus and say, well, they invite, Lazarus invited Jesus. You know, they've not invited me into their life. Okay, we'll take the Zacchaeus story. 
Jesus didn't wait for an invitation. He said, Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. I'm going to your house to eat today. Don't wait for an invitation. If there's somebody in your life that God has given you to change their, their world, don't wait for an invitation. Say, hey, got lunch plans today? Somebody you work with? How easy is that? Come on, think about it. How easy is that? Got lunch plans today? I mean, if, if, it's, if it's somebody, if it's your neighbor, say, hey, you like the biscuits down at Jack's or Chick-fil-A? Let me go buy you a biscuit Saturday morning. How easy is that? Or you ladies, y'all probably want to go somewhere more cheeky or something like that. But you know what? <laughs> How easy is that? That's all Jesus did. He didn't stop at Matthew's table and preach him a sermon and say, now, are you going to follow me or not? He said, come follow me. It's that simple. So here's what I want us to pray right now. That God will just give you one person. I could have said ten. I could have said five. I could have even said two, but no, one. I'm praying with you today that God gives you one person that you change their life. Now listen. Feeding somebody is not changing their life. Just because you're a parent doesn't mean you change th- that person's life. There's a lot of parents that ain't doing anything for their kids' lives. And, and, and just letting the person in the next cubicle over beside you know that you're a Christian is not changing their life. Okay, just letting them know. No, no, no. It's got to be a little more than that. Who is there? You know, there's all kinds of people that run by you, that pass by you, that you just need to give a word to every once in a while, or maybe you just need to give some encouragement to, or you need to pray for. But who is it? that God has purposefully placed in your path on a regular basis or that you need to change something so it is more regular so that you can change your life. And we can change a nation one life at a time. That's the way Jesus did it. Bow with me. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying. I want you to hear this last little thing, though. If we're going to change a nation and we're going to do it one life at a time, what life do we need to begin with? Just before we start thinking about that one, we got to begin with the, the life that is me. I need to change. Because I'm passing by too many opportunities. I'm too busy. Uh, they wouldn't listen to me. i got to change my